You are listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. Pastor Nathan here. It is an honor to spend a few moments with you on this Wednesday evening. I hope you're having a great week. If you have never visited First Church, I would love to get to know you. We would love as a ministry team to host you. Uh, Let's get right into the scripture. This past Sunday, I spent a little time preaching, thinking, reflecting with all of you about Jesus' statement where he said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And we, for a little while, talked about how difficult it would have been for Jewish people to accept this image as a spiritual instruction. Remember, images, symbols, teach us about a world that we do not know through the context of a thing that we do know. Uh, So it is that the word of the Lord is now like wheat that is sown, and it falls in different types of soil. This is something that the hearer knows. They can learn a spiritual truth from it. Jesus did not use an Old Testament symbol to reflect the way he was leading people. He did not use the word. He did not use uh, priestly raiments. Um, he, he did not use in some manner, say, an ephod or a vestment. Uh, he did not use the various utensils of the tabernacle or temple system. He did not even use uh, the symbols of worship that were a part of Jewish life in the manner of even the tabernacle of David, which would become a very large part of New Testament-style worship. Uh, Jesus picked something completely new, something that could only mean one thing, and that was my death for your life. Um, I do this for you. Uh, It's not enjoyable. It is the most horrific thing imaginable. I do it for you. Uh, And we learn from that. And he said, if you would be like me, take up your cross. Um, Now, that's pretty challenging, of a spiritual invitation. Jesus is not describing an easy way when he uses the image of the cross. Now, to be completely transparent, um, I don't think Jesus makes that kind of appeal to everyone who comes to listen to him teach. I don't think that he quite in the same manner uh, would make the same statement to the crowd that he makes to the disciples. But to these people, these inner people who are going to lead the New Testament church. They're going to be the ones through whom uh, this anointing is given. They have to take up their cross, and they have to follow Jesus. Now, let me make a transition here. After I preached that message, I, I wasn't finished with it in my heart. And I continued wrestling with it. What does it mean uh, to be a Jesus follower? What it, does it mean to have a cross in our life? Um, these, these are the appropriate questions for a Jesus follower to ask. Um, some of us wish that following Jesus was cu- quite like an endless miracle campaign and that there was no cross in it. Um, <laughs> we know who we are. Uh, some of us wish that it was a nonstop camp meeting or an unending conference of religious people. That's what we idealize. Uh, Jesus did not use that as an image. 
But he had fellowship. He had healing. He had miraculous. But it was all leading to a cross. My death for your life. Um, So this has been in my spirit. And I wish that I could have just brushed it off and moved along. But uh, having begun this reflection, I was... I had to face the music. Uh, Let me be honest about something that most of you would know, but some of you might be surprised by this. Um, Ministry or Christian leadership of any type can be uh, uncomfortable. It can be heartbreaking. Now, it's not just that. And when someone acts like it's just that, they're usually wanting to dramatize themselves and make themselves seem like nobody has been through what they've been through. You know, us preachers are human too. Um, that's not right to say it's all that, but there is a deep part of it that has rejection involved, that has uh, pain involved, that has uh, psychological burdens that you carry. Um, and it's not formulaic for you to just pray and it be fixed. Uh, sometimes you pray through it, and then you pray through it, and then you pray through it, and then you pray through it. And Time passes, months pass, sometimes years pass, and oh my word, we're still praying through it. Uh, More than that, the Lord will make sure you are depending on Him. Um, Everybody in my life that I depended on to reassure me that I was um, in some way acceptable, uh, they were removed from my life. Um, The ones that I needed to say, Oh yeah, that that you know, it's like the joke about the dog, and he's sitting there and just thinking, and he says, you know, little dot 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 beside his his dog head, and there it's he asks the question, you know, what if I never find out who's the good boy? <laughs> you can feel like that in leadership. Uh, what if I never find out who's the good boy? But I, at first, um, you know, kind of had a pity party over that, and then in scripture I saw that it wasn't just me. Um, every man or woman of God has this becoming where you must de- depend 100% uh, on the Lord. Those of you who are growing up in the church, I'm so thankful, and I, I hope you are too, for the spiritual guidance your parents can represent. But I promise you, uh, the trials that come your way are not going to be something your parents can deal with it. You're going to have to deal with it. Your reassurance cannot be based on whether or not your mom or your dad or your grandparents say you're right. Uh, They can be a great blessing, but they did not die for your sins. On nothing else, your confidence, your progress, your spirituality must be built on nothing else than Jesus Christ. Nothing else than his spirit in your life, his spirit uh, with you. So uh, back to this admission. Ministry can have pain and suffering in it and difficulty. Um, I came across some data that I, I had mixed feelings about. On one hand, it seemed, in, it seemed impossible. On the other hand, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and that was a survey of pastors um, that was recently done. And over, over, right at 30% of pastors in America uh, want to quit. I don't mean quit their church and go try to find another job at another church. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, they want to get out of the ministry. And if you interview them, they all say some version of this. It's not worth it. 
In other words, the juice is not worth the squeeze. Uh, the pain is not worth the paycheck. <laughs> uh, the difficulty is overwhelming. Uh, I never forget talking once with a pastor who uh, was in some way kind of pouring out his heart to me. And it's a, it's a, it's a very good thing to have in your life people you can pour, pour your heart out to. Um, sometimes I am the one receiving uh, the individual who was pouring out their heart. Sometimes I'm the one pouring out my heart. Um, but he was making this confession to me. He said, you know, my life um, is pretty sorted. Um, I, I don't fight with my wife. My kids are uh, in a good place. All these things are doing pretty well. Uh, I don't have these problems. So why do I carry these burdens nonstop of other people's problems? Why do I carry this crushing weight. I don't have these problems. These aren't my problems. Why am I carrying them? Um, yeah, one-third of pastors would like to make a career change. Now, that's a whole lot of quitting in the heart. <laughs> that's a whole lot of, uh, I've had enough. Let me make a life change. So uh, I came across that data right after preaching Sunday about Jesus manifesting the way we should walk as the way of the cross. And I began asking myself, all right, why would I or anyone want to quit? And uh, pretty quickly, three things came to mind, uh, things that make us want to quit. Number one, uh, negative experiences make us want to quit. It doesn't matter if it's uh, academic. It doesn't matter if it's a career. It doesn't matter if it is a hobby. Um, you will... Uh, find negative experiences make you want to quit whatever it is you are doing. Uh, secondly, uh, this is similar but not the same, uh, negative emotions will make you want to quit. Um, and thirdly, negative outcomes will make you want, want to quit. Uh, here's the thing. I bet not 1% of all those pastors who want to quit ministry want to give up their faith. I doubt if even 1% of them want to change their lifestyle and go out and, you know, cigarettes, whiskey, and wild, wild women, as the country song says. Um, I, I, doubt, I doubt that's the case. Yet they all want to quit. They don't want to lose their faith. They don't want to backslide. They want to quit ministry. Uh, if you have ever tried to do anything for the Lord, um, you understand that there are negative experiences, negative emotions, and negative outcomes in trying to do anything for the Lord. And there will be this temptation within you to say, I'm just not cut out for this. I'm, I, look, it's, it, this is not worth it. I'm just going to go to church. As if going to church is the way of Jesus. As if just going to church is the way to please God. Here's the problem. And I talked about this Sunday, but it is in my spirit so much. Um, it's going to probably take a few good <laughs> weeks and months of study, prayer, preaching, and the like for this to get out of my spirit. Uh, this is based, once again, on a misconception. And there is a, there is a trap, a trap that is hidden in this idea that I don't want to lead, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to volunteer, I don't want to serve on the dream team, you have to get there early, I don't want to teach kids, because, you know, I know the pastor wants us to worship one, 
and work one. That means I have to come to the 9 a.m. service. Um, and that is what the pastor wants you to do. I, I don't want you to stop being a part of the worship life and the living word of the church just because you're serve, serving in the church. So I don't know if I want to do that. Now I have to come to the 9 a.m. and worship. Uh, and then in the 11, I would work. That's just too much work. I just want to be a Christian. I, 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 don't, I don't have sin, not serious sin in my life, you know, and I'm a good person and I'll just do that. And there's a trap in that. And this is the trap. You know what it is. Uh, you heard it Sunday. And that is God is pleased when I'm good enough to deserve him. Therefore, I don't need to do the work. I don't need to worry about teaching a Bible study to someone who I have connection that God's connected me with. I don't need to work, worry about either hosting a small group. That's one way you can serve small groups or leading a small group, or that's another way you can uh, support small groups or supporting a small group. So leading, hosting, or supporting. Supporting is when you show up, they know they can count on you. They know you're going to invite your friends. They know you will help them, you know, set up, tear down, whatever it is. Um, those are three ways. Why would I want to do that? I just, I don't have, you know, I just going to go to church. I'm just going to hide because all God really wants for me is to be good enough to where I don't break any of the laws. And that's what it is. That's all it is. I just, I'm not a sinner. That's enough. I want to tell you, I deeply, deeply believe this. That is the trap of the Pharisee. And I believe that is exactly why the vast majority of Jesus's criticism in the scripture of religious people is directed toward that mentality. Uh, that is the wrong mentality. Uh, that is a trap of self-delusion. It starts with bad theology and it ends with religious pride and it creates a law culture and what is the curse of the law uh, <laughs> sin law death do you see it is a death culture because it is trying to do through rule and duty what can only be done through spirit and spiritual life and so I I deeply believe we are called to take up our cross. It is not something we do while we're saving ourselves by following all the rules. Every church has a slightly different set of rules, and no church follows all the rules in the Scripture. Now, if any of you guys are frustrated by that statement or if anybody is watching uh, this from another church and you want to say, no, Pastor Nate, you are wrong. Our church follows all the rules. I want to tell you, all you are admitting is that number one, you're not a Bible student. Number two, you don't know what you're talking about. Number three, you have an excess of vanity. Nobody follows all the rules in the scripture. How are you doing on your uh, diet? Uh, I think 17 times we're commanded uh, to uh, you know, manage that. How are you doing? Do you owe money? You, you're not following rules on a usury. Um, do you see? There's so much. Nobody is keeping all the rules. I don't care how vain you are or how loud your visiting evangelist screams about how other churches are compromising, but you're the truth. You are living a deception. No one keeps all the rules that can be found in the Scripture. 
Not even the guy who has the angriest sound or the angriest blog, because I know of a bunch of them. Nobody does. What does that mean? Well, if every church has a slightly different set of this is the way we ought to live, and that's not wrong. The whole point of the church is to organize, unify, and give spiritual instruction. But that's not what you're dependent on for your salvation. Every church has a slightly different one. Some churches say sleeves to here. Some people say sleeves to here. Some people say sleeves to here. In Paul's church, all the women all across the Mediterranean basin wore the single, single most popular uh, item of clothing in the Roman world, which was called a stola. Every woman in Paul's church had on a stola, which, if it wasn't cold, was a sleeveless garment. Paul wouldn't have been holy enough. Jesus wasn't holy enough. Every rule, every church has a different set of rules. However, churches should try to organize, try to find a way, and unify themselves towards something. That's why if you go to a church that has a different detail then for some reason someone, if you were watching me and you go to another church, you should obey your pastor and you shouldn't have a bad spirit about it. You shouldn't go around and criticize and complain. He is trying to find a way and to define a way. Do you see? So don't say that I tried to find some excuse for you not to support your church and your pastor. I just want us all to have a certain spiritual humility and a certain biblical humility when we go to the Scripture. And I don't want us to fall in the trap and say, well, I know for a fact that this is the Scripture that matters and that's the one that does it. That's foolishness. That is absurdity. I mean, after all, who do you think you are? Do you see? Every church has a different way. How do we know we're following Jesus? He gave us the image of the cross, my life for others. And when we do that, we want to quit. Honestly, it hurts. We have, <laughs> we have negative experiences. I started a Bible study, but then they kind of faded. They, or they said some ugly things about me. Negative experiences or negative emotions. I tried to do that small group, but I did a terrible job and it was embarrassing and I was humiliated. I feel like I'm dying when I go back in there now. Negative outcomes. I, I did that. Nothing happened. Nobody got saved. Everyone made fun of me. Do you see what I'm saying here? It will feel like the cross in your life. And Jesus will not apologize for it. He will say, serve others. Give your life for others. See the need and put yourself in the gap and say, Lord, I want to be like you. And here's the thing. When you change your standard of serving God, pleasing God, from am I good enough to what am I doing to serve others, to show them God's love, to manifest his goodness to me by loving them. Once you do that, let me tell you the first thing that's going to happen. You're going to have to get rid of your laziness. You're going to have to start thinking, man, is there a soup kitchen around here I can serve in? Is there a, a team in, in, at the church where I can help other people come to the Lord? Uh, I can be a part of supporting the worship life of the church? Man, is there, is there a, a, a nonprofit that I could go represent the love of God to? Could I be a driver for one of the um, various organizations that take food to needy people? When you do that, all of a sudden you quit 
looking at yourself, which allows you to be lazy. I don't want to serve. I just want to come to church. I'm going to be there when the doors open. I'll make sure my sleeves are long enough. I'm telling you that, that will let you be a lazy, judgmental, arrogant, pharisaical believer. But when you start thinking, if I'm going to be like Jesus, I've got to have a cross. That's not about my perfection. That's about me being an offering. That is about me giving. That is about me doing. That's what we're going for. That's what I need in my life. And I would say, forgive my boldness, but that's what you need in your life. Let Christ be your righteousness and make your life one of worship and witness. Christ is your righteousness. My life is worship and witness, and I am giving it for others. Do you see? That's why our church is always trying to create opportunities for involvement. Do you see? It will get you off your spiritual couch, and it will get you out in the harvest simply by saying, how do I know I'm pleasing God? Well, I'm, first of all, not sitting up judgy on everybody. I'm not staring up into my own spiritual navel and analyzing what I need and how I'm not like them. Thank God I'm not like them. And that church over there, man, you should see what some of their kids put on Facebook. Oh, let those people do their thing. They are judging their worthiness by the standard of a Pharisee. But Jesus wants you to take up a cross, your time to others, your goodness served to others, your love given to others. You're the one in the field. You're the one giving encouragement. You're not satisfied by looking at your righteousness. That was a theological uh, error to begin with. Your righteousness was never going to get, get you there. Never. So please, just stop. You've got to look at his righteousness. What happens to you in response to his righteousness? Because Christ loved me. Because Christ gave himself for me. Now you're starting to sound like the New Testament, right? Because Christ first loved. Because Christ, I have to do something. And then we become spirit people motivated by love, not duty. Because if it's duty, when you have a negative experience, you're going to want to just go back to being, you know, I just come to church. I just mind my own business. I just make sure I have no sin in my life. The first time you have a negative emotion, you'll say, oh, I never wanted to serve on that dream team anyway. They didn't appreciate me. The first time you have a negative outcome, I guess I'm not cut out for this. I'll just go back to perfecting myself because of the way of the Pharisee, that's the way. No, no. And again, I say no. This is my heart. This is me Find some way to live your life for others. Get involved in small groups. Join part of the, the team that makes ministry possible on Sundays. Serve. Get involved in a nonprofit. And when the enemy attacks you, stop quoting Pharisee talk and start saying, well, I was never going to be good enough, but I'm trying to do what Jesus showed me and what he invited me. And this is the way, this cross. Now, because you've taken it up, when you have a ne negative experience, you don't quit because this was the way. When you have negative emotions, you don't quit because uh, this was the way. And finally, when I have a negative outcome, I don't quit because this is the way. If you want to come after me, deny yourself. Just get over that. Take up your cross, purposeful 
discomfort to help others. A willingness to pur purposefully suffer to serve others. To purposefully trouble myself. To encourage others. This is the way. With every ounce and fiber of my being, I believe this is the way. Lord, I pray that you would help us all. Start with me. Start with me, Lord. And let it flow into the very culture and community of our church. We are a church that serves, and it is the way. We don't reassure ourselves by the fact that we didn't listen to any worldly music. We shouldn't be listening to a bunch of sinful music. We admit that. But that can't be the righteousness that gives us hope. <laughs> our righteousness must be in you. Lord, we don't want to be people of the world. We want, don't want to be the people that's obsessed with watching uh, movies that exploit and exalt things of the flesh and ways of the sin. But that's not our righteousness. And that shouldn't reassure us. We're reassured because we're living for others. Lord, I pray that more than ever in the history of this church, there would be a revival of people saying, I've got to serve. I've got to give. I don't expect it to be my best life. <laughs> I don't expect it to be always happy and joyous. I expect it to be tiring. I expect to be exhausted afterwards. And that's what I am going to speak to myself. This is the way. This is the way Jesus walked. He invited me to find my purposeful life of giving everything I have for others. Lord, let that be First Church Culture. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Love you all. God bless you. Uh, if you can pick, your, pick yourself up after all that, I, I don't know, but <laughs> I love you. Let's make a difference in our world. God bless. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.